One thing that the wood said on their video that we just saw is in going to, um, to Greece last, last summer, it says, uh, we, we were changed, we'll never be the same again. And uh, one thing I really appreciate about, appreciate about this congregation is the uh, number of people who have gone overseas for either short-term or longer-term missions, and, uh, and I believe Central has been changed because of that. So our prayers are with you, uh, Adam, Amber, and girls, and we just pray that this will be a great uh, four months or so that in uh, Athens, we look forward to hearing more about that. Tell, Ab <laughs> Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. During the month of December, we're going to be looking at this, what is called the Aaronic blessing, the blessing that given to the high priest Aaron and his sons. And we're going to break this down and hopefully make it real to us, make it applicable to our lives. Last week, we introduced it, and I, one of the things I try to share with you is how to read the Old Testament. I think this is very important. As we go to the Old Testament, how do we read this? This, is, this happened 3,500 years ago. What's the application to us? Is there application to us? And the New Testament reveals to us that, yes, there is application of these Old Testament stories and teachings and blessings apply to us today. And there's three things you need to look for, and I'm not going to go to the scriptures. If you weren't here, you can either listen to it online, or you can come to me later, and I'll share the scriptures if you want to know. But when you read the Old Testament, three, really four keys. Number one, look for Jesus. Where is Jesus in this passage? Look for the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. The Old Testament reveals that. And then look for loving God and loving others. Where is loving God and loving others? And this will open up the Old Testament. It opened up the Old Testament to me as I began to search for these very things as, as I studied and read the Old Testament. And then we saw the application is that our righteousness, which comes from God through faith in Jesus, is found, is testified by the Old Testament. When we read the Old Testament, we will see, if we're looking correctly, that we are righteous before God, but not by our own keeping of the law, but by uh, following, but by our, our faith in Jesus Christ. And so as we enter this second uh, lesson today, we're going to particularly be looking for Jesus. I mean, we could, I could spend a lot of time looking at the golden rule and other things here, but I want to particularly spend our time looking for Jesus in these passages. I shared with you a video, uh, a song, uh, recording uh, of this blessing. And it's a beautiful song. Last week I said, you know, just listen to it, sing along if you'd like to. And so this week I want to encourage you, if you feel comfortable, to sing along with the song. I want us to, to get to know this song in the weeks that we're, going, that we're here. 
And perhaps at the end, we can sing this uh, with confidence, uh, knowing, knowing the song and the, and the, uh, the music. Share with you last week that word in, in the Hebrew languages was a concrete language. We English, Greek is abstract. And so this word bless is an abstract word in our thinking, but in the, in the Hebrew, it literally meant to kneel down. And you can see this in Genesis chapter 24, verse 11. It says, He had the camels kneel down. And that word kneel down is the same word, Barak, that is in the Lord bless you. The very same word. And so we get this concrete picture of a person kneeling down. I said last week, I said, you know, if you can, if I gave you a piece of paper and I said, draw bless, most of you would struggle with that. It's like, so, because it's an abstract concept, except for our artist here, Mike and uh, Kathleen Lowry, they're like, I know what I would draw. <laughs> and they would draw the medieval hand of a blessing. You might see it in some of the medieval pictures of Jesus and uh, other people blessing with a hand, right hand uh, up. Uh, and so they would draw that. But most of us couldn't draw bless quickly. Uh, but we could draw kneel. We could draw knee, uh, someone kneeling down. And further, this, this, in the, there's, this verb is in the intensive, which means to drop to the knee. It's more than just kneeling down. It's dropping to the knee. And you could say it's something like this. It's as if a man is about to propose to his beloved and he drops to his knee and hands her the ring, stretches out his hand. That's the picture of God blessing, dropping before us with gifts in his hand. And for some of the, us, that's, that's almost blasphemous to think of God kneeling before me. 
And so if it is, it can be taken literally, it can be taken figuratively. And if it helps you to think that in a figurative term, in an abstract term, that's okay. However, we do see God in the flesh. We see Jesus dropping to his knees, washing the disciples' feet. And figuratively through his life, he continually is serving people, dropping to his knees figuratively and serving and ultimately dying on the cross. What was that? That was the ultimate blessing, the ultimate act of service. Blessing is daily. This is something we need to get a hold of here. Blessing, we want, we want to be blessed like winning the lottery, figuratively. <laughs> we want to get blessed and know that we're set for the rest of our lives. Now, I, I know you've dreamed this. If you're a human, you know, we've all dreamed of winning that billion-dollar lottery. I, that one I said, I don't want that. <laughs> that would be too much. But, you know, we want a blessing of several million dollars. And then I know for the rest of my life, I'm set. I'll put it into a savings, and I'll draw tax-free interest, and I'll be good for the rest of my life. That's how we want God to bless us. But that's not how God blesses. He blesses for today. The Lord bless you today. And all throughout the scriptures, we could spend an entire lesson on how God blesses for today. And we won't do that. But he takes you, and he gives you what you need. For this, not only for this day, but really for this moment. God's blessing is for this moment. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, uh, 34, I believe. He said, uh, don't worry about tomorrow. There's, there's enough worry for today, so deal with today. And I'm gonna, the blessing is for today. And tomorrow, when you get there, it'll be today. And deal with today in today. But don't deal with tomorrow. It has too much, there's stuff there going on and, and it's, it's going to take care of itself. Manna in the Old Testament. They went to gather manna. How often did they, did they get, gather it? Every day. And God told them, now don't, don't take it and don't store it. Don't put it for tomorrow. And some tried that and it rotted and stunk and there's worms in it. And he said, don't do that. Just take care of today. The blessing of manna is for the day, not for tomorrow. Over in Hosea, he says in chapter 14, right at the end, he, he just sums up everything. And he's, there's this wonderful section of blessing in, the, in this last chapter. And he says this interesting thing, I will be like dew to Israel. And think about dew. Dew is for today. You wake up in the morning, the dew is there. And it's an infusion, a daily of infusion of the earth with water. And it's, it's, if you think about dew, we don't think about it, but if you think about it, it just kind of appears mysteriously. Some of you who know science and everything will know, well, it's not that mysterious, la da 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 But for most of us, it's a mysterious appearing of water. It's just all over the place. It completely saturates the ground. It's sufficient for, for the day. It's what you need for that moment. It's never too much. Have you ever had so much dew that the, that the earth floods? No, that comes from rain. We just have the dew for the day, and it's good for the day. It's what is needed. Uh, it it's comes each day. You can walk through a field and just be, your pants could be saturated with the dew. It's so much. And so he says, that's my blessing I will be like the daily dew. I'm there. I'm what you need. 
I will take care of what you need right now, today. If you go over to Lamentation, Jeremiah totally defeated, despondent, discouraged. If you are today discouraged, despondent, just, just at the wit's end, start reading through Lamentation and it will encourage your despondency and your depression. I mean, he's just down. But then he gets to this verse. He says, in the midst of just being at rock bottom, he said, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. You see, the problem was he was being so centered on what was happening, he, he needed a reminder of what to think about. And he, he said, I will think about this. I have hope here. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. You see, that's what I need, that, that compassion. I don't need God's compassion tomorrow or down the road. I need it today. And so he says, every morning, God's love and compassion, I wake up and it's there like the dew. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. I'll wait. In the midst of my struggles that I'm going through, I'm going to wait on the Lord because they're new every morning. The blessings lie in this day, right now, in expectation of what's going to happen right now. The Lord bless you. So when you think of that, God's falling before you, blessing you with what you need right now. And keep you. The Lord keep you. There's a concrete word here. Keep. What does that mean? Can you draw a keep? Uh, I'm not asking Mike to draw the keep. But the, for the rest of us, it's kind of abstract. But the, the Hebrew here meant to hedge about with thorns, to protect and guard. This was, the Hebrews were a nomadic race. They were an agricultural race. Uh, the shepherds, this, this is rooted in the shepherds and how they would wander from field to field. They, you know, we, we let our cows out or our sheep out or whatever we have. And then the, in night they come in, they come into the barn or, or wherever. We have a fence around our land. They keep, we keep them in our land. We protect them with a fence. But they would travel from place to place where the pasture was, where the water was. And then at the end of the day, they would be a long ways away from home, wherever their home was. And so what they would do, they would take thorns like this, inch-long, two-inch-long thorns, and they would wrap them around and create a, a corral. And we could go into more detail. The door was actually the shepherd. He would lay there at the door to protect them, and he would bring the sheep in there. And so this word to keep or to protect was, came from this, this particular word. Now, what do you guard? What do you keep? The Lord guards you. The Lord protects you. You guard what is valuable, what is precious to you, what you cherish, what you hold in high esteem. The things that are important to you are the things that you keep, the things that you protect, that you guard. And so God is saying this, I will take care of you because you're precious to me. I care for you. I cherish you. I esteem you. And some of us are just almost like, how can that be? How? We think of a couple of ways. Physically, he physically protects us. We immediately think of that. 
Physical protection does not mean the absence of pain or the absence of suffering. If that were true, Christians would never die. Think about it. If God's protection meant physically we would not suffer disease, we would not suffer pain, we would not suffer accidents, no Christian would ever die. So he's not talking about that, and yet there's a physical protection there. His promise of protection is throughout the Bible. I believe I have on here 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 8, and 9, his promise of protection. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side. He's having problems. Paul's having problems. We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. And so this is talking about this physical and spiritual protection that uh, Paul is having. And it doesn't mean he is absent from pain in the midst of his pain. He says, I'm not crushed. I'm hurt, but I'm not crushed. I'm perplexed. Sometimes I just, I can't figure out God sometimes, but I'm not in despair. Persecuted, he doesn't say you're free from persecution, but in the midst of persecution, God is protecting me, caring for me right there. He's esteeming me. In the midst of persecution, I'm not abandoned by God. Psalms chapter 41, in verse 1, he says, The Lord God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. He's always there. He's right there. He's you can know as you're going through the things that you're going through that he's with you, he esteems you, he loves you, he cherishes you, he cares for you. Even if you don't feel like it. And there's dozens and dozens of other scriptures we could go to. I think about the times that I believe I was protected, physically protected by God. I could tell you stories of, of times that I almost did something or almost died in a I almost died in Rapid City, uh, South Dakota once. That's another, I'm not going to tell you the story. But I can say, you know, God was with me during that time. And there's probably more times than we can imagine. We don't even know how many times God has protected us physically. But God is with us in the midst of our, of our, of our troubles. But spiritually, he protects us too. And I think this is God's primary concern is he wants to protect us spiritually. He wants us to bring us to him whole spiritually. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 3 says, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil ones. That's a promise from God. He will strengthen you. He will protect you from the evil ones. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. He's not saying he's going to take away the temptation, but he's going to give you the strength. He's going to, he, he loves you enough to give you the power through his spirit. To stand up under that. Whether we see it or not, we can be sure that he keeps us. He guards us. He protects us. And then he says, he makes his face to shine upon you. What beautiful poetry. You know, sometimes we just kind of read things and we think, oh, that's beautiful. We, we really don't think about it. And the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Again, the Hebrew word, the root word there is to turn. And if you think about your body, what turns? I mean, I know my body can turn, but my face turns first, and then my body follows. And that's, that's what the, where the root of this word comes from, is the turning of the face. 
And it's always in the plural, by the way. Faces. Every place in the Old Testament is faces. And the reason is because we have many faces. We have a serious face. We have a sad face. We have a happy face. We have a joyous face. We have a gracious face. We have a glad face. We have, we have dozens of faces, right? You have a bored face. <laughs> All sorts of faces. But this word face means presence. My face is my presence. When you see my face, you see me. When you see my face, when you speak to me, you speak to my face. I know some of you shy ones will look down and speak to my feet. But most of you speak to my face. You know, Look at me in the eye, someone will say. Look at me in the eye. Speak to me face to face. And that's what, what, this, what the root of all this is, my presence. Over in Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, he says, my presence will go with you. Literally, that's the same word that we just read in Numbers, his face to shine upon me. It's the same word. My face will go with you. My presence will go with you. Because face is tied to everything about a person. When you see a person's face, you can know a lot about that person. Someone comes to me. And without saying a word, I'll say, what's wrong? What's wrong? How do I know something's wrong? I read his face. You do it all the time. Are you mad at me? No. Oh, thank you. <laughs> She's not mad at me. <laughs> because she could see my face. Says, and your face is, you're not mad at me. But when I see your face, and you're looking downcast, and you're looking grumpy, and I say, are, are, are you mad at me? Because I'm reading your face. We can read a person's face. Face, the face is your emotions visibly displayed to everyone. I look at your face and you're visibly displaying your emotions. Abraham Lincoln said this way, everyone over 40 is responsible for his face. It's how you handle your face for 40 years and that's going to kind of set. <laughs> it's going to solidify and you're going to kind of project your face, your attitude, your emotions, your demeanor, the tenor of your life is going to be shown by your face. And here he says, God makes his face. The essence of God is made visible to us here. What's God's demeanor? What's his demeanor toward you? What's his attitude? How does he feel about you? Remember that this you, the Lord bless you, was told to the whole group, but it was sp spoken in the singular. It was meant for every person who heard this blessing, the Lord bless you. And you are to take it personally, not as a group, but as a person. The Lord bless you. If someone sees me and they turn their face away from me, I know their attitude. They've given me a message without a word. They've turned their face from me. And here it says, God makes his face to shine upon you. This is his attitude. This is his intention, to shine, to glow, brilliance, brightness. What a shining face. You know what I call my granddaughters? They're my sunshine girls. Sunshine. Because I get sunshine when they come. I never call my grandboys sunshine boys. You know. But my granddaughters are sunshine girls. I saw her face. I saw her and my face lit up. We, we use those expressions, don't we? 
where our, our eyes get bright, our, our face glows, our face shines. There's a beam. What's the beam attached to? Smiles. There's a smile, a delight that you're here. You've all that you experienced that this morning. Some people you saw, you said, hi. Yeah. Some people you beamed. You saw them, your eyes lifted, your, your mouth lifted, your face shone because you hadn't seen them for a week or two or maybe longer. You hadn't seen them, and you beam when you see them. It's a delight that you're here. A joyous face, welcoming, acceptance. And so many people have a hard time thinking that when I come in the door, when God sees me, he smiles. His face lights up. He beams at me. His face is shining upon you. And we're thinking, ah, oh, yeah, he, his face will shine upon him or her, but me? Does God's face shine? Does God smile when he sees me? Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. And there's many other passages. But here's just one. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to say, He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. It's either made up words and nice poetry or it's true. You got to decide. You got to decide whether this. Do you see Jesus here? Do you see the love of God here? Do you see his love for you here? Or is this just nice words? We say on the Sunday and we leave. We've got to decide that. He beams, he smiles, he's glad to see you. Many of us have the primary image of God who is serious, who is frowning, who's perhaps he's angry with us. He wouldn't care if we weren't around. I love the song written in the 1700s, God Moves in Mysterious Ways. Our God Moves in Mysterious Ways, His Wonders to Perform. You know that song. Some of you know it. There's one line, there's one verse that I just, I struggle with this one. I, and I mean way back, it doesn't match up with the scripture. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. I have no problem with that. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. He's frowning at you. And he hides a smile. The opposite is just said here in this verse. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Or does he frown at you? And kind of hide his smiling face. How does God do this? You know, the nature of light is to shine, is to reveal. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, uh, God is light, in him is no darkness of all, at all. And we should all know that by memory. I had to stumble on it. We looked at that in depth in the past. God reveals himself to us. He does it through nature. We look around nature, we can see God. We look at the scripture, we can see God. We look at his son through the scripture, and we can see God. He wants you to know him. We often go through life and say, well, where is God? Implying that we don't know God. Where, where is God? Where is God in all this? And Philip asked the same question. Show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Just show me God, and that will be, that's all I need. Alan, if you just show us God, we can go home. That's all we need. And Jesus said, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, 
Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. He's just saying, look at me. And we look at the Gospels, four Gospels and the rest of the Scripture, and it's there before us over and over and over again. And we'll never cease to have more insights to who he is if we keep studying the Scriptures. And he says, don't you know me? Just look. Just look. I'm there. God is there in front of you. Ephesians, uh, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 8. He says, what is more, Paul said this, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I lost all things. I consider them rubbish. I consider life rubbish compared to knowing God, knowing Christ, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of, of my own, which comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. A righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Just get to know Christ. That's my focus. That's the point of my life. And then he says he makes his face to shine upon you. This is a choice by God. This is something he wants to do. This is God's choice to make his face shine on you. Ephesians 1, verse 4 through 6, he chose, listen, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us. This is his choice to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. God was pleased to do these things. This is what he wants to do to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the ones he loves. He makes his face. We don't control God's face. You don't control God's smile. I try to control your smile. You try to control other people's smile. We do things to please other people. You please other people. What do you expect? You're expecting a smile from them. We give someone gifts. If you, if you give someone a gift and they take it and they don't smile and they just kind of throw it to the side, you know, our heart breaks. We're like, what's going on here? We want that smile from other people, so we work hard at doing things to make our parents smile, to make our spouses smile. And we do the same thing with God. We say, God, if I just work harder, if I sin less, if I pray more, if I give more, then maybe God will smile at me and be happy with me. And it's just a simply a warped way of pushing God to the side and obtaining a righteousness by the law. God says, I make my face to smile upon you. You don't do it. For God so loved the world that he gave, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you want to live that way or not, that's God's smile. He gives his son. Whether you want it or not, he gave. He makes his face to smile upon you. His face is towards you. But you can turn your face away from him. All these blessings that we're looking at and many, many more are God's gifts to us daily. In every aspect of your life, his keeping you, treating you as esteemed, treating you as valued, smiling upon you, his light, his revealing light, teaching you, showing himself to you. All these blessings cannot reach their potential until you put them into practice. You've got to put them into practice. We can talk about this until we're blue in the face 
and they'll do little good unless in faith you put them into practice. You live these things. The gospel, God is a God that when you turn your face away from him, guess what he does? He comes to you. He blesses you. Like a sheep wandering in the wilderness, he goes out in the wilderness, joining you in the wilderness, looking for you. You hide in the darkest corner from him. You're, you're trying to get away from him. You hide in the darkest corner. He gets out a lamp, and he gets, on a, gets a broom. He gets on his knees, and he searches every corner looking for you. He's the father ever looking for you to return, and he comes running to you when he sees you coming. And if you don't believe any of those, read Luke chapter 15, because that's the picture of God serving you. You know, we need to learn to love God back. This will change the way you live. This will change the way you think, and this will change your life so that you will not sin if you learn to love God back. You know, we break a law, and we'll wiggle our way out of it. We'll make excuses. I'm, I'm, I'm not sorry when I break a law. I drive down Memorial Parkway, I'm going 65 in the 50 zone, and my heart is not broken. Now, I never do that, by the way. I'm, that's an illustration, all right? But you go down, your heart's not broken because you're, breaking, because you're going the, past the speed limit. You're not going, oh, you know, this is a terrible thing. You're just, and if the policeman stops you, you're going to do, you're going to say, you're going to either butter him up and be really nice to him, or you're going to try and argue with him. Well, good luck on that. You know, you're going to try and get out of breaking the law, aren't you? It won't change. You'll be driving down the road later, and you'll be breaking the law. But if you break someone's heart that you love, that changes your behavior. Have you ever broken someone's heart that you love? It breaks your heart, doesn't it? It makes you want to change. You don't want to hurt someone that matters to you. And that's why our focus here has to be on Jesus we have to learn and be in such a close relationship to him that we think, I don't want to break his heart. I don't want to hurt him. I'm not trying to do these things so he'll smile upon me because he is smiling upon me. But I don't want to break his heart. And God comes to us in Jesus. We're blessed by his coming. We know now how to live. We now know how to treat others. We know how our sins are removed. We know how to have a relationship with God. We know that when he died and he rose from the dead, we're, we're joined to him. When we're joined to him in baptism, we're joined to his death and resurrection. We're joined to the smile of God. When God said to his son, you are my beloved son. And if we're in Christ, we're his beloved child. The smile of God has broken into the darkness of the world. And this is the good news of God. You're a sinner whom God chose to smile in the light of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. When the light of God shines upon us, we want to run because our sin is exposed. And yet the light that exposes our sin is smiling upon us because that's where my salvation is. And we do run, but we run to the light. 
because that's the source of my salvation. If I see God smiling upon me in the midst of my sin, I run to him. Is the delight of God personal? Do you believe he smiles on you? Do you believe he smiles on you personally? And your answer is found in what you do with sin. What do you do with sin? If you hide or you work harder at changing, God is not found in trying harder. That places God to the side. I'm trying, it's me. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. Instead of looking at his smile upon us, and we go to him for cleansing, and we go to him for change. Because he's the one who frees us from our sin. Accept that you are God's beloved child and live in his smile. Our elders are going to come forward. If we can help you in any way, come forward as we stand and sing, express your need to them.